Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. This is cool and congested, George Mays. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And here with me is Jay Jones. Hello. And you are not congested. (laughs) I am not the sick one this time. Yeah, well, it's that time of year. Weather changes and... uh, Yep. Just got to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is Text Driven Tuesday, and uh, we've been gone for a little while. Yep. Yep. We were uh, out last week. Really busy week last week for sure. Yeah. So, yep. That's a Drake had surgery and all that stuff. So, yeah, I had two days pretty much to do everything for the week. Mm-hmm. So, got it done because yeah. it just so happens. Of course, it's just pure coincidence because God doesn't care about me. <laughs> um, pure coincidence. Just kidding, right? Yeah. Uh, providentially, uh-huh. landed on the easiest passage to outline in the in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. That's good. Yeah, it's a no brainer. I mean, if you're an expositional preacher, it's a no brainer. Well, you, you should have had me preach it though. Yeah, they're for if for it's a uh, no brainer. Four imperatives make the text. So I mean, yeah. If you're an expositional preacher, the only way you can mess that up is by having a three-point sermon. <laughs> right? Or not paying attention to the 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 grammar that yeah. you used, right? Um, so you've been teaching a, a youth group Sunday school class mm-hmm. um, over here, and uh, and on Sunday you you taught you've been teaching them on how to read and study the Bible, uh, and you uh, you talked about exegesis yeah. yesterday uh, versus eisegesis. Yeah. So bringing out of the text versus inserting something into the text. Uh-huh. And so when you're looking at, at a, pr- a particular passage and you're, you're paying attention to the grammar, you see four imperatives. Right. Yep. Um, which that... Forms your structure. Makes it, that yeah. forms your outline. It gives you right? the outline yeah, right that's, there. That's you're just bringing out of the text. Yeah, what's already there. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and this this is something that uh, this is not something that only pastors can do. It just takes careful reading of of the mm-hmm. scriptures. Right? right. Yeah. You you can easily see that there's four commands. Right. The rest of Ecclesiastes isn't, isn't like that. <laughs> like I said, it's the. Uh, some people think it's this is the central point of the whole book, uh-huh. like based off the, like Hebrew scholars, they'll like outline this thing and uh-huh. they'll say the whole book's a chiasm, guys. That's what I was looking at. Yeah. I was looking at it yesterday while you were while you were preaching. I was I was trying to see if there was a chiasm. They, I, you know, some people see chiasms in everything. Well, they say. I mean, this matches really kind of where he goes at the end. Uh-huh. Um, some they say this is this is a. This is like the whole book's laid out in this st- structure to where this portion about, yeah. about worship is at the cen- the center point. Yeah. But I'm not that advanced of uh, a scholar at all to <laughs> you know outline the Hebrew. Like uh-huh. people get PhDs right. to outline in Hebrew books like this, uh-huh. um, so they spend years and years. Right. Um, but I don't know that honestly for uh, regular people. Right. I don't. You don't have to be a scholar, right, to read this and get the the points. Yeah, um, especially since in in chapter twelve, verse thirteen, he tells us right. 
what the point of the book is. Right. I mean, he, that's those yeah. are his literal words. Mm-hmm. Here's the here's the end of of the matter. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so we're in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter five. Yep. Um, and we're talking about uh, worship. Mm-hmm. Talking about uh, reverence. Yeah. And uh, as we were uh, talking about this in community group yesterday, uh, one of uh, someone there mentioned uh, a video. Oh man! And I thought I would. I thought I would. Uh, I thought I'd pull it up. Check it out uh, and see right, how see and see the the reverential worship. Oh, I can only uh, that imagine occurs Sunday after Sunday. I can at Church imagine. by the Glades. Church by the Glades. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's see it. All right. Let's check this out. Yeah. What? What is that? Why they change the music? Wait a minute. Did you? Look, look at these little stormtroopers. Did you plan this? I didn't plan it. What are they doing out here? They're so what? cute. So Church by the Glades oh, uh, in Florida, Is correct? Uh, and uh, they are an SBC church. Crazy oh, dude. And this is, uh, this, is, this is in their worship service. You can see the congregation. Oh, There's my. the stage. So the guy had a Chewbacca uh-huh. costume. Oh, it's not, it's not done yet. What is this? Stormtroopers dancing. You know, I was, I was what? It's like a laser light show going on. Stormtroopers uh-huh. storm on stage. And you gotta have the hip. You gotta have the hip thrust. In Michael a, Jackson in a, or, in a worship service, of course. Oh my goodness. What in the world? <laughs> this is crazy. If you're like one that uh, doesn't watch the video, you just do a, a, like a podcast, you listen to the audio only, you're going to want to hop on here at least and check this out. Oh, my. <laughs> these poor children. These got to be children in, the, in these stormtroopers. They're little. They're little, yeah. Or, or they're either uh, small girls. People. Gang, a little Gangnam style. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh my goodness! Hey, there you go. That's isn't that what you need to get you in the yeah the worship mood? Oh my goodness! <laughs> so stupid. It's so dumb. I'm, there's no way if I was at this, I couldn't have thrown a chair. <laughs> There's a zero percent chance I wouldn't have thrown a chair. What's the percentage of you ever walking in the door of <laughs> church by the glades? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Larry said the congregation they're sitting in like cars or something. Did yeah. you see that? Uh, like yeah, the yeah. seats are made in like uh, cars. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that, this is this there one. You go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there. There you go. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. Uh, Church by the Glades, which um, they've been controversial in the SBC for years. You remember they were going to have the they were going to have uh, the pastor there um, 
preach at the pastor's conference. Yeah, yeah. And he's notorious for doing these gimmicky things. He's he's had the Game of Thrones. Yeah, you know the throne. Is this up the there. Uh, the uh, gay the gay affirming? church the one that uh, people are trying to to get removed from sbc uh, i thought that was first baptist orlando that's right it is that was first, first baptist, baptist orlando, orlando. Yeah. no this is the one that they had like a they had like a um an, an outreach thing where they had victoria's secret mm. you remember that yeah um, is it the one we showed like pirates of the caribbean and all that same one that may have been it probably is. that may have been them yeah uh but yeah, someone at our community group mentioned that video, so I thought I'd look it up. And uh, since oh, we were talking man. about since we were talking about uh, reverence and worship, I thought we would show the exact opposite. Yeah, can you like how do how do you get to to this right? Like you're sitting uh-huh. around, and the pastor's like, "Hey guys, you know what? I've got a mess. I've got I've got a sermon series. I'm gonna preach on Ecclesiastes." Uh-huh. And then somebody, you know, was like, "Hey, you know, Ecclesiastes. That's a, now that's kind of a downer type of a book. What do you think we balance out the service with a little stormtrooper action? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's bring everybody up and uh, we yeah, can balance see, it out. What so do you, you think, guys? Yeah. So you know that this guy. I cannot remember the. I should have. I should have looked this up. I, I can't remember the name of the pastor. But you know that he's a you know an Edlinton type of guy that's got like a committee. Yeah. He's got you know he's got his. He's got like his uh, writer's room or whatever. Right. And yeah. They, you know, they're bouncing ideas off. Did they just say there's no bad ideas? And I guess. Just, and just go with it? I guess so. Yeah. 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 I mean, this this is precisely what I was talking about in the in the opener, the opening section. The yeah. in, like, so my, uh, there's an introduction portion where, um, you know, I'm trying to set up like, here's what this is about. Why is this important type yeah. stuff? And so I, I talked about when I moved up to uh, Kansas City, and we were, this is like 12, year, 12 years ago, we're looking for a church, and I didn't have like even the correct, I, I, I didn't know, you know, really what I didn't know at the time. I just knew something was really wrong with a lot of all the churches we were visiting. Uh-huh. And it didn't matter like really the style of <clears throat> the type of worship or even the different style of preachers. Yeah. Because they all kind of have, they're all different. But now looking back, what I realize is one thing they all have in common is the whole thing was set up for like for non Christians. Mm. You know what? What would non Christians like here? So the preaching is geared in that way. The songs are all geared in that way. And this Church of the Glades is just a prime example of that. So of course, if that's how your entire service is set up, then the question is like, who's being worshipped on Sunday morning? Right. Well, we we were talking about it uh, yesterday that um, worship is supposed to be us coming before God, and and God is the audience. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the recipient of our worship, right? Um, and what what a lot of churches have done is that they flipped it, right? And now we're the audience, right? Um, God is a bystander. Mm-hmm. And those on stage are supposed to entertain us, right? So it's not. It, I don't even know if it's just unbelievers. I mean, it's just it's just geared towards it's just geared towards the congregation. <clears throat> it's geared towards what do we want to yeah. see? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had the same we've had the same conversations um, with people when we first merged, right? Because we were taking some things out of the service that were 
um, traditionally, you know, Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the worship service is not about us, right? We're we're not we're not trying to cater the worship service to us. I always hate the um, you know the children's the children's sermon mm-hmm. and the little kids things that that some churches will do mm-hmm. because all the parents whip out their phones and you know, right. they're taking pictures and stuff, and it's like all of a sudden it's like a uh, you know uh, elementary school you mm. know play or something right like end of the year mm-hmm. thing um and it, it just becomes like this look how cute our kids are and you know they can they can do this mm-hmm. um but you see it in, in all these different uh elements that keep getting thrown into worship services um it, it may not be the extreme of you know stormtroopers but <laughs> right. there, there's all kinds of things right. that, that churches do that it turns it turns the worship service into a production. It turns it into mm-hmm. you know a, a show right. instead of uh, coming before God to worship Him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so you got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this passage seven verses four uh, four imperatives four commands right. uh, that uh, that form the structure of the of mm-hmm. the passage and it's all about worshiping God mm-hmm. with reverence. Right. So let's have you read it and uh, then we'll just walk through it. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you and angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and many words grow, there is vanity, but but God is the one you must fear. That's it. Um, there, you know, the imperatives are guard, guard your steps. Um, don't be hasty with your words. Don't delay in paying your vow. Um, let not your mouth lead you into sin. There, there they are. All right. Well, I think before we jump into these four, um, four admonitions mm-hmm. for, uh, to worship God with reverence. We talk about the fact that um, there's a correlation between our view of God and our view of worship. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they go together. So if you have a, a, a small view of God, you're going to have a small view of worship. Right. Wor- worship can become a show. Yep. It can become, you know, what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Or it can include, you know, puppet shows or three guys in leotards uh doing a ballet uh tim <laughs> keller tim keller style uh, um <laughs> you know they re- they removed that video from youtube did they yeah it's hard to find to scrub it yeah it's hard to find um but uh if you have a, a big view of god mm-hmm. then you're going to have a big view of what worship is right 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, if you put this in a really human way of thinking about things so people can kind of get it, we say that people, you know, a high view of God leads to worship and a low view of God leads to, you know, whatever. You know, I'm here on Sunday. Yeah. Um, shouldn't God be happy that I'm here? <laughs> you know, I am after all me, right? <laughs> right. And I'm here. Um, yeah. It'd be like, um, you know, say uh, some teenage girl uh, gets to go uh, the Justin Bieber concert, and she's on the front row. You know what I mean? She's like, he comes out, he starts singing, he bends down, grabs her hand, like she nearly has a heart attack and uh-huh. passes out. You know what I'm saying? Like she do it. She's not going to miss that day. Uh-huh. She's going to go right. no matter what. I mean, she could be like nearly dead, and she'd be like, "Give me an IV. Right, I'm going to go because uh-huh. I love him. I right. love, I love the Biebs. And <laughs> you know, if uh, she uh, probably doesn't look the same way at her algebra teacher, where she's like, you know what? It's algebra is a necessity. I kind of need it for life, but I'm not just loving to go. And that's the way people look at God. That's quite the juxtaposition that you that you presented for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you uh, you opened the sermon with the illustration of of people going worship every Sunday. Well, yeah, America's full of worshipers, man. Really, really dedicated worshipers. Right. Yeah. They um, they love they love to think they think they will be there every single Sunday, uh-huh. no matter what happens in life. No they will the, be there, no matter the weather, no matter the weather, no matter what snow. Yeah, could be a blizzard. Oh yeah, they're going on Sunday to worship, and they could even experience some uh, you know some bad times with their uh, church. And they could get church hurt, mm-hmm. and they're coming back hopeful the next year. Yeah, no matter what, they love they love it so much. They love they love their God so much. Saturday they get ready for mm-hmm. for Sunday. Yeah, they'll make sure that you know they got the the car gassed up, they got the right clothes washed and set out, uh, the food's ready, all of it. And then they get up early on Sunday morning, and they leave early so they can arrive early, so they can drop that tailgate. Right, they drop that tailgate. Break out the grills, get ready for football. Right, it's dedicated. Yeah, well, goodness, football is uh, almost taking over the almost taking over the week. Yeah, yeah. You got you don't just have Sunday, you got Monday. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some on Tuesday. Been watching any of that Thursday night uh, football on Amazon, Jay. I haven't been watching football on Amazon, George. It's been. Uh, Is it free on Amazon Prime now? It's been, yeah, yeah. Okay, but uh, <laughs> they're gonna have to start paying people to watch it because <laughs> the games have been so bad. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, but you know, Friday night football, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, they got it. It's uh, uh, people devote themselves oh, yeah. to uh, to this, right? You may not. It may not get get it. Like if you haven't lived somewhere like <clears throat> that has a football team that. Fans love like Kansas City, uh-huh. Kansas City, or probably you know Dallas. I'm uh-huh. sure is the same way, yeah. but Kansas City for sure, man. The, the fans are super dedicated, right? But I mean, you know, then you just switch it up. Mm. Many people are not like though Christians will go the whole week, never think about God, right? Uh, not talk to him, talk to anybody about him. They won't read about him. Um, if everything goes just right that week, then they'll come. 
But if anything goes wrong, uh-huh. they'll find an excuse to not go. Like yeah. I need, you know, I gotta, I just gotta get a little extra rest or whatever. Um, and if there something bad happens, they'll just abandon the team. <laughs> like yeah. they won't be back. Uh, if they get church hurt, they'll leave. They'll never. Maybe and some of them will never come back. Right. Um, they'll not get ready on Saturday. Not even think about it. Get up, run behind, grab some clothes, whatever. It's just the opposite, right? That's what I was trying to show. Right. And then maybe get to church on time. Definitely don't want to arrive early though, because then you got to talk to people. <laughs> you definitely don't want to do that. Right. You don't want to talk about talk to uh, other people that are uh, there. It's just so. It's such a stark, uh, a stark, stark uh, comparison. And it's because it comes down to really like what do you think and you know how is your what is your heart disposition toward that which you love um, and many people have a, like this kind of low view of God that doesn't inspire any any real devotion or reverence and I think the argument can be made people have been trained in that like from the time they were little. They've been fed a really pathetic God. And I say, I say, they say, oh, yeah, how can you say that? And I say, well, if that's the God you believe in, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Most people believe in a pathetic God. Um, and that does not produce what Solomon calls the fear of the, the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Fear of the Lord uh, is a heart that is... Uh, looks at God in reverence and and admiration and respect and honor. A lot of people have been trained from the time they were little that's that God's not worthy of any of that. Not now, of course, people won't outright say that, right? Right. But that's how you end up with people who have been in church their whole lives. That just can't wait to get out of church if they go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, there's a reason why they have to have stormtroopers dancing to Gangnam Style on, on stage on Sunday morning. Right. They know that if you don't do this stuff, people aren't going to come. Mm-hmm. If you want people to come, you got to put on the show mm-hmm. because God's not good enough. Right. He, he doesn't draw the crowd. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's... They, uh, they're just the product of, of decades of churches not, not honoring God mm-hmm. the way that he deserves. And so people have stopped coming because they don't see the grandeur of God. And so now we're here at this point where you got to have, you know, a church singing, you know, the greatest showman right. <laughs> and put, and putting a literal circus on the stage to get people interested yeah. on a Sunday morning. I did have one of my friends, one of my good, good close friends who was in the army, and he literally told me, I wouldn't go to church if there was a circus. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how people think like you're going to win a non believer to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, it ain't happening, man, with this stuff. Uh, <laughs> right. All right. So, four admonitions to worship God with reverence. Okay. Yeah. So we begin with verse one, which is uh, a good place to start. I don't know if anyone needs that uh, that reminder. Chapter five, verse Chapter one. Chapter five, verse one. Um, worship God humbly. 
Yeah. Guard your steps. That's uh, that's how it begins. So first, uh, what is the house of God? I think this is important thing to pause because we take for granted. I think <clears throat> what this really means. Um, well, I, I think a lot of it is because people still call the church like the house of God, mm-hmm. and um, they kind of draw a comparison between modern day church buildings and the temple, right? Like. Well, they went to the temple to worship. In the Old Testament, we come to church on Sundays to worship. They're both right. the house of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's a you know a category error going yeah. on, and so a lot of people have been kind of brought up mm-hmm. uh, in that kind of uh, uh, church speak. Right. So the house of God in the Old Testament, we we know that he that Solomon's referring to the temple, the temple which he built. His dad was able to pull all the resources for that, but uh, David didn't get to do what he wanted. David wanted to honor God, because God was, he's like, you're living in a tent, and I've got a palace. God doesn't, doesn't matter to God. Like, God, God, uh, he never even asked, hey, you know, David. But he's like, okay, David, you want to do it? But you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. Solomon does it. This is an incredible uh, place. It would be a, a marvel to see. Uh, but this place, we have to ask, okay, what is this place really? Okay, is it just the temple where it's the center of worship? And I think it really stands out pretty stark when you think about Solomon's observations up to this point. He's observing the world post-fall, so after Genesis 3, the world is ruined. So everything pre-Genesis 3 is the garden, it's perfect bliss, man in relationship with creation, animals, you know, the the earth, and man with God. It's paradise, man with God in, in relationship, and and then it's all lost in Genesis 3, and God curses the man and the woman, and the earth is cursed, and death enters the world. Solomon makes observations post-fall, east of Eden is what we call it, or he says under the sun. So here's what the world is like under the sun, and there's nothing in the world under the sun that can fulfill the deepest longings of the human heart. We won't rehash all the others, but there's oppression and injustice and envy, and the world is still the world that God made, but it's now broken, right? It's like uh, God made everything good, and you can't have a bad thing without first having a good thing. We've talked about that before. It's like... uh, if the whole world were an apple, it's now a rotten apple. So every everything is still here, it's just off. Not just off a little bit, like bad. Sin has it's ruined, ruined the world, and Salma makes, he doesn't sugarcoat any of that. But in this, uh, in the world, under the sun, there is one place that is special. It's the place where God has decided to draw near to sinners, and that should blow your mind. We don't think about the temple that way, but that's what the temple is, that God is merciful and gracious and has not abandoned humanity or, or, or creation. He, as in, he enters in and draws near to his people, and his, his presence is literally in the temple, 
the, the presence of God is in a physical location in one spot on the entire planet in Jerusalem on this temple mount in the temple. That's the house of God. And the house of God is not just a place where God draws near to the sinner, it's a place where God makes it possible for the sinner to draw near to God. So through what God has prescribed, uh, man may have their sins forgiven and atoned, and they may draw near to God and pray to Him, make requests to Him, fellowship with Him. Um, it's that, Eden. Yeah, it's a, and that would have a, the imagery... Uh-huh. Is all around the temple. Yeah. So that's this place. Um, that's the house of God. We have to keep that in mind because um, we always need to keep in mind who God is and how gracious He is. Yeah. And then comes the His His admonishment: guard your steps. So you're to. I mean. This this almost perfectly could translate to watch your step. Uh-huh. I mean, we know, we know if you say to somebody watch your step, right? It, it doesn't. It could mean literally, hey, <clears throat> you know, watch out because uh, the kids left the Legos out, you know, and you don't want to step on a Lego barefoot. Yeah. But it means to be careful. Uh-huh. So be careful when you draw near. When you go to the house of God, you need to be careful. Uh, guard your steps. So this guard your steps. Most people believe to be that this is like an allusion to um, Moses. That most people that are Hebrews they would know this. Like, hey, yeah, okay. Uh, what happened when Moses encountered God? God was God was at the burning bush, and God called to him from the burning bush. He goes over. There is God in His perfection talking to him, and He tells him. Moses, take off your sandals, because the place that you are standing is holy ground. And Moses worships. He takes his sandals off, and I can't remember the exact phrasing of the text, but he does uh, what God tells him. He takes his sandals off. Joshua does the same thing when he encounters in in Joshua 5 the commander of the Lord's armies, or uh, or host, commander of the Lord's host, the angelic host, supernatural army. And so there's a man with a sword, drawn sword, and uh, it's it's a it's an interesting encounter, it's very unique. But it's clear that this is not just a man or just an angel, because this commander tells him the same thing that Yahweh told Moses: "You're standing on holy ground. Take your sandals off." And Joshua responds by taking him off, and the text says he bows down to worship. And this man's not like, hey, don't do that. Like, <laughs> right. He's like, yeah, um, that's right. Because it's we know who it is. Looking back, it's the second person of the Trinity. It's, it's uh, Yahweh. Um, it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and so he takes off his sandals. And it's interesting, the uh, the sandals... Um, I read a lot. Of, I've read a lot of different articles about it, and then I told you my uh, my my. I think last week my Hebrew professor was lecturing. They do like one lecture a year on something or whatever, some special lecture, uh-huh. and he did his on the theology of Birkenstocks. That's what he called it. 
the theology of Birkenstocks, sandals. So there's four. there are four texts that talk about sandals and taking them off your feet in the Old Testament. These two, and there's one in Deuteronomy. Um, so Deuteronomy 25.9. Yeah, and it has to do with the kinsman redeemer. Uh-huh. Um, so if a kinsman redeemer refuses to fulfill his obligation before God and before his countrymen to be the kinsman, kinsman redeemer and either marry or buy back property, depending on what has happened, um, to preserve his brother's line, because it's all about preserving the family line, brother's line, then the wife of the brother is to go and to take his sandal off and spit in his face. <laughs> First time I read that, I was like, okay, I get the spitting in the face part. <laughs> but you took his you took his sandal off. Right. I'm not I'm not getting it. And then in, uh, Boaz, when he wants to redeem Ruth, and really, really, it's Ruth and it's Naomi, Ruth and Naomi. Uh-huh. These two widows, they've got nothing. They're destitute. Um, <coughs> there's this interesting encounter. It happens in the town. We'd call it the town square, but it's in the city gates. It's where the elders of the town would gather. You know, who knows what they're doing? Smoking hookah pipe. I, I don't know, but they're sitting around. The city. What do what do old what do the old men do? You know, probably not play smoking. dominoes. Probably not smoking. They're throwing. They're smoking throwing. Hookah. Yeah, slamming dominoes. And uh, here is Boaz, and there's the there's another guy. He is supposed to be the kinsman redeemer. He's the first in line. He's a closer relative, and. Uh, but Ruth doesn't want that because Boaz, he's the man. And so <clears throat> there's this negotiation. Boaz wants to be the kinsman redeemer, which means this man has to relinquish his rights. Right. So he t- so he does. He relinquishes his rights, and he takes his own sandal off, uh-huh. and he's like, gives it to Boaz. Right. And it's like signing a contract probably yeah. today or something, right? Officially, I am acknowledging my rights are gone, they go to you. So we're able to get a little bit of background from that, that the removal of sandals, there's more to it than your shoes are just dirty and you take them off when you go in someone's house. Yeah, It's, kind of, it's not it. The idea is you're relinquishing something of yours. Uh-huh. So you're standing before God, you take off your sandals, it's a relinquishment of your rights. You're in the presence of the holy, you don't own anything now. Yeah. You don't take off one sandal, you're taking them both off, um, a relinquishment <coughs> of all of your rights. It's a it's a posture of humility. Yeah. I think that we forget um, kind of how the, the tabernacle was set up mm-hmm. in the in the Old Testament before, before the temple was built. Uh, especially in the wilderness, you had the temple was in the center of um, Israel's camp. Right. And surrounding the, the tabernacle were the Levites. Mm-hmm. And then the other the other tribes were were situated around that. So it's, there's kind of an outward movement, and uh, the Levites are there for a reason. There to protect the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So if you if you were to presumptuously you know approach the tabernacle, um, the Levites would kill you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and then it, even in the inner circle of the Levites, Moses and Aaron were were mm-hmm. at the at the uh, the door, mm-hmm. you know, at the, at the gate of the temp, uh, at the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so you, you were supposed to approach God humbly. Mm-hmm. If if you uh, if you just 
you know tried to waltz in right uh, the levites would they'd kill you yeah uh, don't don't hear the word priest <laughs> and think uh you know roman catholic right <laughs> uh right. the the jewish uh the israelite priests were they were warriors mm-hmm. um so guard your steps right right yeah <laughs> guard guard uh, guard your your steps when you approach god because uh you could die yeah that's right there was a text uh it's an obscure text i wish i'd i'd written it down now um I think there's a little speculation, but there might be something to it because of this one passage in Isaiah where it speaks of God taking away the enemy's boots and burning them. Huh. You remember uh, that? Is that um, chapter nine? I can't remember. I wish I'd have written it down. But this guy wrote about that. I think, and he said, I think it's chapter nine. He said, um, if a man takes off his shoes, he's totally vulnerable because he can't run and he can't fight. So if you take a soldier's shoes away, he's you've totally like nullified his ability. Huh. And there is that passage I think which speaks about God burning uh, burning their enemies' boots huh. okay. or shoes. But I thought that was interesting, and that's true, and that's you as you know, of course. That's why I never wear flip flops. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's Isaiah nine verse five. What? What did you say? What yeah, you, yeah. What did you say to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people already know that, but you might not know. I don't ever wear flip flops, George. Uh huh. Ever. Yeah. You can't. Well, you can. People aren't think I'm paranoid, but I like to say I have a realistic view of the world. Um, <laughs> I've, I, you know, I've uh-huh. got a family and kids, and I can't fight in flip flops. Yeah. So no one can. You can't fight in flip flops. So I don't wear flip flops, George. Uh-huh. Jay, I hardly take off my socks in my own house. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, to, I can see that point. There's another little bit of info. This is what the podcast is for. I try to not put anything in the sermon that would make people think, I never could have figured that out. Um, they're back, some background stuff, you know? Uh-huh. Um, in, um, I guess, the tradition of the rabbis, they make people take their sandals off when they come into... Uh, synagogue, yeah, and they and apparently they say that's what was required at the temple. Okay. But I don't see anything in the Bible that says it's required. Right. Could it be true? I guess I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they're like, let's keep the tradition that uh, that Moses started. Yeah, but you could take your shoes off and go into the temple and violate everything Solomon's asking you to do. <laughs> that's right. the whole point. Right. The point is for you to humble yourself. Uh-huh. It's not about outward ritual. Guard your steps. Humble yourself. You're going to where God is at. Uh-huh. Take a humble disposition. That's the point. Um, he continues, verse 1, to draw near to listen is better <clears throat> than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what, that what they are doing is evil. So these, these verses teach how to guard your steps. Uh, how to humbly approach God when you draw near. Uh, one is to observe silence. Um, I read in one commentary, and I hadn't considered this before, but it would be it would be quiet. In, it would be quiet in there. So, like, if you went in, or maybe there's other people online, but you're going to go in, and it would be expected that you would keep your mouth shut. 
because the the uh, priest is not just going to kill the animal. Maybe that's the only sounds you hear the the screams of you know of your dying sacrifice. Uh-huh. But the silence would, in the presence of this structure, impress upon you the great reality of God's transcendence uh-huh. and His divinity. Um, and then the priest would be the one who talked, and he would instruct you. You're here because you're a sinner. God has been gracious, and he's come near to us, and he's given you away. And this is the meaning of this sacrifice, that this is happening, and he explains all that. So to, to come in uh, humbly is to listen. Um, we can see that. People that are proud don't like, they don't listen. They don't like to listen. And the, the opposite of, of this humility is this person who really is presuming upon God, and he brings a fool's sacrifice. That's, that's what he says. That's the contrast. At first, when you read it, you're like, oh, well, where'd this, this strange contrast come from? The fool, his sacrifice, it's not just a fool's sacrifice. It's, a, it's evil. It's an evil thing that he's done. Uh, what he's really done is think, I know what God's prescribed, but... He'll take whatever I give him. Yeah. So whatever I I bring and what however I think this should work, God'll be okay with that. Yeah. Solomon doesn't say that's that he says that's actually evil. Yeah. This was a problem apparently, I guess, because uh, it's written about. Yeah. Can't help but think about Cain and Abel. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, the first first record of of man bringing. Um, a sacrifice to God, mm-hmm. and uh, Abel brings uh, first first fruits of his of his flock. Yep. Right. Uh, Cain brings um, produce. Yeah. Um, now the the bringing the produce isn't the sinful part, right? Because there are prescribed um, uh, sacrifices uh-huh. um, for you know bringing your crops, right? Uh, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter eleven, he he says that it's because Cain's uh, Abel offered his sacrificing faith, mm-hmm. and Cain did not. Right. So he was going through uh, the outward, right, the outward motions, uh-huh. uh, but he didn't believe, right, in what he was doing. I guess, uh-huh. um, and it was evil. Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting. You see the you see the 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 way that the story progresses mm-hmm. from Cain's pride in his in his sacrifice uh God rejects his sacrifice mm-hmm. um there's uh theologians think maybe God actually gave a visible maybe fire from heaven or something consumed Abel's sacrifice and didn't consume Cain's um Cain was downcast and he murdered his brother <laughs> right uh, that's quite the that's quite the escalation, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that should be a a, a big warning for us. Uh-huh. Um, our, the way in which we worship actually affects our our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Cain didn't set out to murder Abel, right? Um, but that's that's where it it went. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to guard our steps, yeah, uh, because uh, bringing the sacrifice of fools that. That's doing evil. This is this is what the podcast is for, George. Right. Because this it made the chopping block. It 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 had to be taken out. Yeah. I had to I had to cut out three pages. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I had to I cut a, I had to cut some stuff out. So this one yeah. 
uh, it cut it out. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, well, all right. That's why, that's why people have to listen. <laughs> we, we, didn't like, even, we didn't even talk about that they can't. Per, they can't presume right. that uh, it's just going to be the sermon all over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this attitude, um, it's the attitude of Cain. It's... It's still there. Right. Solomon is observing it. It was there so in Malachi's day. Right. right. Uh, Solomon had the same spirit. Uh-huh. Um, right. So, or not Solomon. Sorry, uh, Saul. Saul has the same uh-huh. type of uh, of spirit. Right. Um, yeah. So we we should be careful because yeah. So we got it. We got it. Let's let's bridge the the context a little bit because um, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Um, in Solomon's context, it's actually going to the temple where God is, mm-hmm. where he dwells, um, actually bringing a, a, a sacrifice, bringing right. a, an animal or, or or crops, right? Yeah, and people um, are bringing like blind animals, crippled animals, right. uh, just whatever. They're so, bringing whatever. So when we, when we meet on Sundays, we're coming to a building, but this is not where God dwells. Right. Like God's not... If you've ever been in a, a Roman Catholic church, yeah, it's it's structured very much like the temple. Uh-huh. They have they actually have a place that they call the Holy of Holies, right? Where the box with uh, the the Eucharist, the is Eucharist in there. is. Yeah. Right? I think it's the body and blood of right. Christ, li- literal. Yeah, so you you can't you can't go up there. The, the come, priest has to do it. They come in and they kneel. They'll kneel at the back of the church and right. do the right. Sign of the cross and sit down. Uh, uh, we we don't we don't hold to that, right? right? We don't hold to that. Um, God God doesn't dwell in this this building mm-hmm. in Lawton in a, a you know in a unique way. Uh, so what what do we do with this verse? How how do we apply it to our lives? We're 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 not coming to the house of God the way that they are. How how do we how do we apply this? Yeah. Um, so. We uh, we understand that this is these realities have been transformed by Christ, and yet I think they still apply. They cross the time culture gap. So when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, she is asking deflecting questions because Jesus is right. He's honing in uh-huh. right on the heart issue with this woman, right. and uh, she does what all of us do: the deflect. And so, part of that is her asking these questions. She says, "I perceived you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and because she's not Jewish, they have a different mountain, right? Um, and they say, hey, we can worship here. It's just as good as you guys.' And but you say in Jerusalem is where we ought to worship. So, hey, where do we worship? This place or that place? And yeah. Jesus says." Um, we actually worship correctly is what he's telling her. Uh-huh. You, you know, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. But there's a time coming when people won't worship on this mountain. Uh-huh. Um, there's a time coming and, and it is now here where God is seeking true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So worship's transformed. Um, because Jesus has come. So Jesus was literally God on earth, like walking around. So when he goes to the temple and and he uh, 
is standing there and he's talking. He says, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it." Right. Like he's 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 Yahweh on earth in human flesh. It's yeah. just mind blowing, really, to think about. But he is the way that God is drawn near, <laughs> and he's the way that man may draw near to God. Now, now, Christians are indwelt by his Spirit. That after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he ascended to the Father. He and the Father have sent the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer. So whenever Christians gather, and it doesn't matter where they gather for worship, they are doing what was done then. Uh-huh. Like God, they are a demonstration to the world that God has drawn near to sinful man in the same way the temple was, and they are proclaiming the means by which God has made it to where sinful man may draw near to God. And throughout history, I mean, it doesn't matter. You may have some incredible architecture like R.C. Sproul's church, but the point is people of God have a place where they have dedicated to worship God together. Uh-huh. It could be a house church like people worship in China. It could be like the catacombs, which Christians worshiped in to avoid danger. Um, could be a gigantic place. could be a small place. doesn't matter. The point is... When God's people, who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, gather together at a special designated time to offer worship and praise to God, this is the equivalent of of this. Like, there's not a temple. Well, in a way that there is temple. Well, we we, uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Church of God. Yeah, and they're all over the earth now. Yeah. Um reluctant to talk about Ravi Zacharias uh, because of controversy surrounding his life. Yeah. Um, but um, he did say something in his book, uh, Jesus Among Other Gods, mm-hmm. that I found very helpful. Uh, Christianity is unique amongst all the other world religions because whereas in all these other religions, the people go to the temple, mm-hmm. their, their temple to worship, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism, Christians actually bring their temple with them. Yeah. Like, when we come together, we are the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I found that to be very helpful. Yeah, it is, and it's good. So we we aren't to think, though, that these this doesn't apply to us because we're the temple. It still applies, and it applies no matter where we gather. So right. we've decided to gather here in this church that maybe isn't the most architecturally appealing, right? You're not going to get a sense of the divine as you're walking up to our church <laughs> by the architecture. You know, I think our I think our uh whoever designed the sanctuary was not the same person that designed the rest of the building. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that we have a pretty nice looking sanctuary. Right. But the rest of the building It's on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the outside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the inside is is pretty good. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk let's talk like practically. Mm-hmm. So uh, we bridge the gap in in that when we when we come to worship, we are to approach God humbly. Mm-hmm. What are some just down to earth practical ways that that we can apply this on a on on any given Sunday to to approach God humbly? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. For us to like, appro- what, like, what are the ways in which we we don't do that? Um, I mean, I, I mean, we can we can look at you know stormtroopers dancing to 
right? You know, all the single ladies. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and we could say, well, that's not approaching God humbly. Uh-huh. But in more subtle ways, what 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 do you see? What do you observe? Um, I'm trying to think of ways to to not get into the 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 points that are coming. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to hold off, we yeah we can. Because um, some of my application will have to do with being deliberate. Um, I think the way that Christians are prone to not approaching God humbly is by how to word it correctly. A Christian would never say they take for granted what Jesus has done for them. Uh, but sometimes we can, I think. We can do that. Sometimes we can think that we're pretty good. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's not that's not approaching God in humility. Uh-huh. I'm not telling you to, to like to throw ash on your head and come to worship rending your clothes. <laughs> but uh you should come, I think come to worship not forgetting the reality of who you would be if God had left you alone. Yeah. You'd be lost. Uh-huh. Um, people, there are a lot of people that come to church, and I don't know if these people are believers, but they think that, like, you know, it's just good that they're there. You know, God should be pleased with them that they're there. Mm. Um, and we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. So I think. We make sure that we come, when we come to worship God, that Jesus is always front and center in our minds. We can't approach God apart from Him. There's nothing about any person that's ever lived that was like, okay, this person can approach God. We can't. We have to only come through what God has prescribed, and and He's prescribed Jesus, His Son. So... We should come keeping in mind that. Also, maybe thinking about God in a Trinitarian fashion, that uh, the work of Christ is applied by the Holy Spirit, that we are dwelt by the Trinity, and we come, if we offer worship, accept, acceptable worship, it is um, been fueled not by our own energies even, that that has been made appropriate by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. To know that my affections would be cold for God, a- apart from the working of the Spirit in my life, a, hum- a human on their own can't like uh, muster up like some internal nuclear reactor this this love for God. So just thinking, I do love God, and I actually revere Him, but then realizing you didn't you didn't do that either. Yeah, I think that that hits on a, a good point. I, I wasn't thinking along those lines until you said that. You know, the kind of we, we're not mustering up our own emotions. Mm-hmm. Like everything that we have comes from God, including our worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our worship is is fueled by God's spirit. Right. Um, and I think maybe one of the ways in which we are are prideful is when we do try to muster up that emotional. We see it in. in Tons of churches mm-hmm. that emotionalism, right? Like we're we're trying to work up this emotion to, right? And we call it worship, right? Right? Yeah, I, and I think to to come prepared to um, to surrender all rights, 
it could be that you know you have a your life is good right now, right? You are comfortable, but perhaps if you come with your sandals removed, um, God may call you to do something you have never considered before in your life. Yeah. You see what I mean? Uh-huh. So your guard is let down. You have saying, "I'm here. I don't have rights before you." What is it that you require of me? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, let's uh, let's look at the second point, uh, which is verses two and three, and that is that we are to worship God deliberately. Yeah, worshiping God deliberately. So the there's a negative. Um, this command comes in this negative form to not be rash with your words. Right? Don't be rash with your words or be hasty that are before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Then a little proverb that illustrates what he's getting at: fools babble off at the mouth. Um, there's the clear command. I uh, so I've I've started using the Legacy Standard Bible mm-hmm. um, a little bit, and uh, I've got it here with me today, and I like how it uh, how it translates that second verse. Okay, um, it says, "Do not be hasty with your mouth, or impulsive in your heart." Yeah, that's good, and that gets to the words coming out of the heart problem, uh-huh. um, and the opposite of this ra- being rash which being rash means you literally have no caution or you've given no thought. Mm-hmm. So you were impulsive like that, like the legacy standard, standard Bible says. And the opposite of that is to be deliberate. So that's what that's how, how I phrased it in the outline here. You're admonished to worship God deliberately. Uh-huh. So you, and this gets into this, a lot of the application kind of that, that I was thinking of. Um, to be deliberate means to do something on purpose. Okay. To do something on purpose, to think about what you're doing. Um, that's the admonition. To approach God in his presence on purpose. That sounds maybe strange to us. I don't know. But um, that's the. I think that's what the command is. Yeah. And you can see, I think... And maybe people can, if they're honest with themselves, there have been times when they're so distracted by whatever's going on in their life, they're singing the songs, but they're not—they're thinking about something else. That this would apply. Yeah, you're mouthing things that you don't—you don't know what you're saying. You—you're <laughs> right. not—you haven't even given enough thought. You're not even being deliberate. Uh-huh. Right here, you're just going through the motions. Yeah, or praying. Yeah, and you brought up Matthew chapter six. Yeah, that's a good that's a good application, I think. Uh huh. Yeah, when people pray, um, that's what that's what you're referring to. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So that this truth, uh, well, first the illustration of people kind of c- to c- get the one I gave was from, if you were to go before the president, uh-huh. if you were to get an invitation, and, and it doesn't matter if you hate the current president or not, you know, whatever. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't hate them at all. You should be praying for them. So it doesn't matter who is in the Oval Office. If you were invited, the whole way there on the plane ride, you'd probably be like scratching out. Okay, uh, I get to what? What will I say to the president? Like you'd be super deliberate about the, what will I wear? You know what I mean? I got to make sure I got a haircut. And so you'd have you would you would think about the whole thing and deliberately go in there. Right. And and that's the point, Solomon says you're not just coming before a king, like you are coming before 
the creator of the universe, and you're just a man. And that's kind of what he gets at. He's, he's trying to communicate that God is in heaven, you're on earth. There is this gigantic gap. There's a gap between you and the president, or you and a king, that would make you be cautious and deliberate, and to go before him on purpose. Increase it by a million-fold, the distance between you and the creator of the universe. Um, but we presume that God's like us, and we pull him down to our level, and so we can be not deliberate. We can be rash when we approach him. Um, so. Yeah, and uh, we've um, maybe I'll maybe I'll hold off on this example until we get a little bit further. Okay, but uh, yeah. I'm. This is where. I have to repent myself, um, and I think if uh, you know if our, our ch- church members are listening, maybe we should think about how we come into the worship service. Um, do we come in deliberately, or do we come in? Uh, you know, uh, what I mean is, what are we doing when the worship service starts? Because mm. I've I've found myself in the middle of conversation when the worship service starts, and I think that that is. Um, evidence that I'm not deliberately approaching God mm. in the correct way. I, I hadn't considered that. I like th- I like where you're going with that, though. Because uh, we, we do have a call to worship, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. everybody knows it's coming. Right. But, You've, you, we've talked a little bit. You told me about when you went to R.C. Sproul's church yeah. um, several years ago. Yeah. Um, and about what they do before the worship service yeah. officially starts. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. I mean, they they do kind of what we did at the end. We they do at the beginning, and I yeah. think it's a good idea. I'd like I'd like to do it, incorporate it. Yeah. I'm fine with doing that. So you you come in, everybody's kind of talking, you know, and they're in their pews, turned around, talking to your neighbor, you uh-huh. know, whoever. And then all of a sudden, one of the elders gets up and says, "We are about to worship God, you uh-huh. know, who is holy and good and gracious." So. As we are leaving, like the temporal world, like you know, you say whatever. <laughs> we're leaving the world and entering into the presence of our God. Yeah. Let us prepare our hearts by observing a time of silence. Yeah. And then there's this time of silence that separates right. the rest of your life from what you're about to do, which yeah. is worship. Come into God's presence and worship well, I, Him. You know, I just, I just think of the times that um, I'm, I'm not thinking about the worship I'm talking to someone about something that's been going on mm-hmm. during the week or you know what whatever the topic is um I mean there's been times when I've been in conversation and the worship service has started and we're still having a conversation mm-hmm. um that the deliberate just checking your just checking your your watch <laughs> to see what time it is when it's getting close to you know when you see Philip go up on the stage you know it's about time for the worship service to start mm-hmm. make your way to your your pew and and prepare right uh, yeah. get ready uh, I think that's a, a way in which we can we can be deliberate yeah uh, we don't come into the worship service out of routine habit tradition um, just kind of you know unconsciously. And you just flip a switch. Um, we should be deliberately going in, preparing ourselves mm-hmm. for that time. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, so 
everyone will have to examine if you know if you're listening you you have to examine just your own heart and how have you have you approached god are you doing so deliberately are you thinking about what you're doing as the church is doing something together are you thinking about what we're doing together things like that yeah and you know it's it doesn't make sense for us to um spend all our time right up to or even into the call to worship mm-hmm. having conversations because we're at a church where people like to stick around. Right. Like we do like to, to fellowship with each other. We like, yeah. we like being with each other. Um, there's time. There's, yeah. there's Sunday school. There's yeah. time before Sunday school. Uh, there's time after the worship service. There's mm-hmm. community groups. Um, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's and just it, something and it, I was thinking about. The time deal really is an issue because if you gave thirty minutes before church between Sunday school, it would still happen. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I see what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I see what you're at there. Yeah. So, yeah. So this command to not be rash, to be deliberate, um, to be to have few to have few words, um, because God is in heaven, we are on earth. To think about what it is we are saying, Jesus teaches the same kind of way of approaching God. And this is a this is relevant, I think. Um, it gets in, even into the view that you have about God and how He operates. Some people think God operates like a pagan deity, and this is exactly what Jesus's point is in this passage. He teaches, he's talking about praying in Matthew six seven through eight. He says, "When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as, as the Gentiles do." For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So in a Gentile prayer, pagans, the Greeks, the Romans, whatever, it's like, um, okay, um, you want uh, you want like uh, Artemis to give you a baby? Well, I got the baby scroll, <laughs> right? Priest, priest holds the scroll in front of you. Uh-huh. It's got all of these words that are meaningless nonsense. Right. And if you say them all just right, right, then the deity is like obligated to answer. But if you mess up a syllable, you're toast. It's the Catholic mass. You have these. It's the Catholic mass, right, you, Jay? And Jesus says they heap up empty phrases and they think they're heard because of their many words. Right. We S- don't pray like that. Jesus say- says, don't do that. Say ten Hail Marys and right, you know, fifteen Our Fathers, and then you'll be forgiven. Right, <laughs> Jesus says, "Don't be like them." We see we see a good uh, example of that in in Second uh, uh, Kings, no, First Kings eighteen mm. with uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. <laughs> yeah, the prophets of Bell there they spend hours calling upon Bell. Yeah, yeah, uh, cutting themselves because they think it will attract his attention. Uh-huh. And Elijah just says, "God, show show that you're the true God." And yeah. fire comes down from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't be like them, right. because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Right. So God knows everything. He knows what you need before you ask. He even knows the words that come out of your mouth before yeah. you let them out your mouth. And the, But this is important, too, because the reality of who we're praying to is transformed by Jesus. Mm. Never before in human history do people pray to a Father. Mm. We forget that. Jesus in the Incarnation reveals an eternal Father. He has eternally begotten a Son, right? That's that Jesus has, is an eternal Son. There's, there was never a time when Jesus wasn't a Son. There was never a time when Jesus, when God wasn't his Father. There wasn't a Father. 
And we, because of Jesus, are adopted into this family, and we don't pray to this this uh, God that we can't know intimately. He's a father, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. So, and he knows what you need before you ask. So, be deliberate with what you ask. You don't need to have a lot of words. You're not going to twist his arm if you have a super uh, convincing prayer. Right. Well, I was thinking of Hebrews. Uh, several times we are um, encouraged to confidently or boldly mm-hmm. approach the throne. Mm-hmm. So we can we can confidently approach the throne of grace because of Jesus, but that doesn't mean we approach rashly. That doesn't mean we do it flippantly or that right. we're we're from we're familiar. We're too familiar. He's right? he's our father, but he's our father who's in heaven. Yeah, and then he he also warns about you know who who he is that he's don't forget he's a consuming fire right right yeah so we are approached deliberately okay all right uh a third uh admonition found in verses four and five we are to worship god faithfully the next two points really have to do with with vows uh-huh Right. But one teaches more of on a positive way, I guess you could say, and then there's kind of a negative way of teaching. Okay. But they're teaching maybe subtle different truths. So the first one's when, you know, to make a vow, it's about keeping that vow um, faithfully. So worship God faithfully. When you vow, vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It'd be better if you didn't vow than if you were to make a vow and not pay it. Right. So uh, these these verses are very easy to understand, I think. Um, they're not difficult to get what he's saying. Um, it's part of being one who reveres God, that if you actually do revere and honor and respect God, if you make a vow to God, if you do revere him, you'll keep it. <laughs> like, you'll be faithful this uh, a vow is like a covenant. Uh-huh. You are covenanting with God for something. God's not a covenant breaker, and you shouldn't be a covenant breaker either. You should be like your God. You should be faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mos- Moses gives uh, by God's directive in Deuteronomy these same stipulations. This uh, is an echo of Deuteronomy twenty three twenty one, pretty much verbatim about making vows to God. And if you vow, you keep your vow. Be better that you don't vow uh, than that you vow and not pay it. Can we can we uh, kind of do a little aside here and talk about vows a little bit? Okay, uh, because Jesus does say that um, don't don't swear by these things, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh-huh. But we've got we have clear statements and commands in right. in the old and the New Testament. Um, about taking vows, mm-hmm. so we know that there's there's no contradiction between what Jesus is saying and what the rest of the scriptures are saying. So how how do we deal with what Jesus says? Don't don't swear upon these things, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, with when you make a vow, right? Which is assuming that people do, yeah, right. So what how how do we do? Um, so. The place to always begin is in in uh, not becoming a tritheist, right? Which a lot of people really think about 
they say, say they say we believe in one God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the way they think about God is as if there are three gods. Right. We under, we have to understand that the okay. old the Old Testament is written by the Trinity. Yeah. Right. The Holy Spirit may be the agent who is the one who inspires. We're told this in the New Testament. This is part of his work in creation to be the one who is inspiring, but nothing that is done in the Trinity is separate is separate from the others. Like they are one in essence in purpose and authority and power. So the, the the Old Testament is the they're the words of Jesus too. Right. Um and the Old Testament is very clear on making vows and that they're all right to make. Uh-huh. Um Jesus is trying to or not trying to, he's addressing um he's addressing the evil that is in the peop- in people's hearts in how they make vows. Um uh, they make vows not the way God makes a vow, right? So they'll they'll play they're playing tricks. So, and they, that this gets into a little bit into the second point, but they'll they'll justify breaking a vow by saying things like "I swore I swore on the temple, but not the gold of the temple." Yeah, um, I swore. Uh, uh, I swore by heaven or you know whatever they have all these these things that they'll say that they swore on i swore by the altar but fingers crossed uh-huh. that doesn't count right because i didn't swear by the sacrifice that's on the altar <laughs> right yeah. where do they get that that cuz that's not in the bible right. it's not in the old testament it has nothing to do with making vows yeah. uh numbers 30 verse 2 really gets to the heart of making a vow and it it, it ends with this, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And I think what Jesus is trying to get people to get to is, are you a person in covenant with God? If you say, yes, I will do something, that is a vow. That's how God, when God says, I will do this, it's 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 true. It will be done. Right. It's based in his faithfulness to his covenants okay. or anything he says he will do. Yeah. It is the truth. Yeah. He won't lie. Right. And this is what how Jesus wants his people to be. He's not saying like we don't make vows. He's saying if you say yes, it's yes. Right. Yeah. That's good. You see? Yeah. So we shouldn't make hasty vows. Right. We should be slow with our words and. The best example of a hasty vow in the entire Bible is Jephthah. Yep, right? he, he he was chopped out the sermon. He made. So, I, fig- I figured. So I, I, us, there's no, there's no way that you you weren't thinking about Jephthah when you were when you were right. thinking about these. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that gets to it's better not to to vow. Right. Yeah. Uh, talk about Jephthah for a little bit. Yeah. Because he is an example of someone who is a fool. Yeah. He's a fool. He's the he is he is. He is hasty, uh-huh. he's rash with his words, yeah. and he spouts off at the mouth and makes a vow he never should have made. Right. Um, tell us what he does. So he's, he's one of the judges. Mm. Um, he's, he's raised up um, to fight the Amorites, I believe. Um, and 
gathers gathers uh, the warriors around him, and he uh, says, "God, if you give me victory, I will devote the to, I will devote as a sacrifice the very first thing that comes out of my house when mm-hmm. I when I come home." Yeah. Um, so God gives him victory. He comes back home, and the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. Yeah. Um, now there's a lot of debate about what happens after this. Mm-hmm. What exactly is going on? Um, I think, I think, just given the the whole uh, uh, bent of the book of the judges, way, of the way judges is going, yeah, how the judges get progressively worse. Yeah, um, he actually offers her as a a burnt offering to God. Uh, So he's, he's twisted. Um, He's, he's making a hasty vow um, that he shouldn't have made because uh, humbly don't, don't bring the, the offering of fools, right? The sacrifice Mm -hmm. of fools. So what if a, a pig could come out? Right. You know, what if a dog come out? (laughs) I mean, what, what uh, it could have been anything. It could have been a horse. Uh, these are this, not things that God. These are not things that God has approved as as sacrifices. Yeah. Um, so he he was willing to offer anything. This right? is uh, important important too because the, this is one of the verses that a non believer or an atheist agnostic will will use, and they'll say, "God accepted a human sacrifice of Je- Jephthah. He he, <laughs> right. he sacrificed his daughter to her. Like your God is okay with that. I mean, uh-huh. additionally, they'll say like your God's okay with." You know, right. murder or uh-huh. you know uh, polygamous marriage and right. they they don't understand that the they're not like taking out the bad parts <laughs> right Jephthah is there's con- no approval given the Jephthah there is no approval what he did actually violates all of God's commands yeah. that God commanded through Moses to never make a human sacrifice right. to not sacrifice a child so he's got he's got this zeal but it's without knowledge it's without a theological knowledge yeah he right. doesn't really know yahweh or he so would he's know. Wi- so he's willing to he's willing to go through with his vow right uh but it's a vow he should have never made <laughs> in the first place yeah and it's a sacrifice that god uh it's an abomination to god he's like the joker you know the joker's a man of his word <laughs> yeah you know okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so he uh he offers his his daughter Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, a good example is that of, of Hannah. That's what I what I brought out. So she wants a child very badly, and she's faithful. She's faithful because God grants her a child. Her womb has been closed by God providentially. God opens and shuts the womb, and he gives her a child. Um, and it's a beautiful story. Um, obviously, it's got, it's got to be is super difficult to give your child up but it's recorded in first samuel that that's exactly what she does she gets a little bit of time as soon as she's weaned him she takes him up makes a sacrifice before god at shiloh and uh she gives her child she brought him to eli the child serves uh serves the lord the rest of his life and that's she's faithful she is being like god um and it's important for us to understand, I think, the context of vows and covenants, because that's really what we're doing 
when we when we are make when we make a vow or a promise as the people of God, we are we are adding some stability to the world. That's what and that's what God's covenants do. The world is chaos, uncertainty, instability. The one stable thing that never changes is God and his promises, his covenant promises and his faithfulness. So when we as God's people make vows, we're to be like him. Well, in the crazy world, that provides a safe haven and some type of stability. Um, so it's a terrible thing for God's people to break a vow. Um, the example, two examples I gave, gave were uh, government leaders who swear they they swear an oath, a vow, right. to God, with yeah. their hand on a Bible. Uh huh. Ninety nine percent of them do anyway. To to uh to keep the Constitution to serve the people, and they violate it. Right. They serve themselves, and uh, and we have major instability. Yeah. Same thing happens in marriage. It's uh, for Christian people to break their covenant vows is. A terrible thing, terrible for children, terrible for the world and society, for right. the people of God to break a vow to God, yeah, to not be faithful, right. So we're to be faithful because God's faithful. That's why, yeah. And that's the third point. Okay. Uh, final point that goes along with that last one was we are to worship God honestly, and that's verses six and seven. Mm-hmm. This gets into making vows when you're you just um, were intent on really keeping it anyway. You're, you're like lying. It's, it's the Pharisees. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your, your, um, your mouth has led you into sin <clears throat> because you've made a vow before God. You really aren't going to keep it and you make excuses as to why you're not, I, whether it's, I swore on the temple, not the gold of the temple, or whether you, you know, you say the situation's changed now and, uh, I'm just not going to keep the vow. I can't do it. Um, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's, it's dishonest. It's, uh, the only way that people do that, though, is if they don't revere the God who they swore by, right? They, everything that happens counter to what's commanded here happens because of a irreverent, view or a uh, view of God that doesn't actually reflect who he is, or, or, or unbelief. Maybe you would say, I don't deny that's who God says he is, but I really don't believe it. So I'll make a vow, and I'll break it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, how many times do we see it? <laughs> Excuse me. Man, I am just right here, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> just right here. Uh, how many times in movies and TV shows do we, uh, you know, see characters and say, you know, God, if, if you'll only do this, right. I'll serve you the rest of my life. Right. right. I mean, that really happens in real yeah. life. People do that. Uh-huh. Uh, they have no intention of, you know, honoring this. Right. Um, but we're, we're hasty and we're careless with our words. And, uh, we don't take seriously the fact that, um, uh, lying to God is a serious, matter mm-hmm. right yeah yeah there you know there are and I, I think this goes along with uh you know that deliberate that deliberate worship mm-hmm. like the songs that we sing 
we're singing words to God, and if we're not thinking about what we're saying, just because we're singing it, a lie is still a lie, mm-hmm. even if you sing it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so if you're if you're singing things, saying you're going to do something, and you have no intention of doing it, right. that's that's a serious that's a serious issue. Yeah. What's that one song? Um. I'm not going to sing it, George. Don't even think about Just it. Just sing it for me, Jay. Just have a few uh, bars. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. Okay. And something all, something all of my days. That is an old, old song, Jay. So, something all of my days. I will serve you all my days. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, that's an old song. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, you're, you're vowing. Yeah. You're vowing to God. Right. Um, when we baptized yesterday, uh-huh. I asked them... Have you, you know, have you renounced your former life and turned from your sin? And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Will you serve him as your Lord all the days of your life? Yes. You know? Yeah. It's a vow. Right. It's a public vow. It's like a swearing in ceremony that a soldier takes. Um I know that they intend to keep that. They are that that's their vow. So by God's grace. By God's grace, yeah, they will keep it. Um, yeah, so Ananias and Sapphira are an example of people who uh, dedicate to God. Uh, they break their vow. They're sneaky. They try to be sneaky. And again, it's because they uh, they have this view of God, I guess, that maybe he does he not see, does he not know? I don't know. There's disbelief somehow yeah. involved. But they, they say, Ananias and Sapphira, they say, we'll... Uh, we we'll sell all of our land. We'll give all of the money to the apostles uh-huh. to distribute in the church to whoever has need and for the advancement of the gospel. And they don't. They're like, all right, we'll told them that, but we'll keep some of it. Right. And they're both in on it. Yeah. So they look really pious, and they look like they have honor and integrity. Right. Now, no one told them that you have to give everything to the church that you sell. Right. This is a voluntary thing. Yeah. Um. It's the deceit that's behind it. They are not. They have no reverence of God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Which, interesting enough, George, this had to make the chopping block too. The trajectory of the Book of Romans. Drake and I were reading through that in the morning. Um, where it goes in chapter three, you know, as you know, what he's doing is he's saying, "Hey, Gentiles are." Uh, they're they're uh, lost and dead in their sins, and the Jews are in the church are like, yeah, yeah, we know that Gentiles, yeah. and he's like, oh, but you Jews are not any better off. Uh-huh. You who have the law and all these advantages, right? You are guilty before God too. And then, kind of where it goes is uh, in chapter three. What is at the the root of all of this? Why is all why are all men guilty before God? He says, uh, there's that. He combines several several passages. Yeah. The last phrase is. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what it always comes down to. Yeah. And that's what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira. That's really what is at the heart of all irreverent worship. Right. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And so what happens? Um, God kills them. He strikes them dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the, you know, Satan put it into their heart to do it. Uh, why? I think because he wanted to destroy the church. Right. This is the this is the ch- church is just starting. What could destroy 
the church is if the the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira spreads this spirit of n- there's no fear of God, duplicity, hypocrisy, and so God uh, cuts uh, it off. We could chase rabbits here. I mean, if something like this happened in our church today, we wouldn't even bring the devil into it. Oh right, you know, yeah. uh, we we wouldn't even we probably wouldn't even treat it that seriously. Let alone say that the devil has anything to to do with a situation like this. It's master strategy. It so is. people, you know, uh, Sauron is depicted in you know the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. as uh, a master of deception. Right. So even good words, uh-huh. he's se- he's setting <clears throat> all, all these things up. Um, we don't, but we don't think that he that trait of his is based off of Satan. Um, but you're totally right that we would just say, ah, they lied. Yeah. But think about the strategy involved here. As the church is just getting going, he somehow puts this inception into their mind. Now, they obviously, it's their doing too. The text also says that. But um, one couple, one couple, that's the the way in. Right. He scanning the Scanning the people... Who can be exploited here? Yeah. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. John Stott said, "Like we're shocked that God would kill kill somebody, uh, a couple like this, and, he, <clears throat> and and why would he do it?" And he said, "Because one couple can destroy a church, and if you've lived in the church world long enough, you know that that's true. Yeah, not can just one couple can destroy a church. Really, one person can, right? right. Because that's the way in. That's yeah. the Trojan horse." Uh-huh. Um, and so God takes it, takes them out before their their attitude of their their duplicitous nature, their fakeness, their lying, their hypocrisy. Imagine what they're doing. They're presenting themselves to the church as we've given all we have to you, and they've kept some. Right. Well, when other people find that out, and they're like, "Well, nothing happened to them," and right. you know, it spreads. But that's that's them. There's no fear of God before their eyes. But <laughs> after they die, <laughs> there is. The whole church, right? There's it, the text says in five eleven Acts five eleven, great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all who heard these things, right? Because God is to be revered, right? Like we aren't to have uh, incorrect thoughts about God. They presumed upon God and His character and His nature that He wouldn't do anything about it. Um, we. We aren't to be afraid of God, like we like you know, like a kid is afraid of his, like of a, of a stepdad that like beats him up. Right. That's not it. Yeah. We're to have the proper understanding that we are just creatures. He is infinitely holy, and awesome and great. The the, the author of Hebrews says it best. He says it perfectly. Um. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then the reason, for our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. And uh, we can easily forget that last part. Yeah. I uh, I don't think we think very often that God could kill us. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. That's not that's not just a Bible thing. <laughs> that's, right. That's something that he could still do today. He could, yeah. Um, I mean, the how flippant and 
and rash do so many Christians take the Lord's Supper. Right. You know, uh, just without a thought. Um, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, this is the reason some of you have died mm. because you haven't taken this in a worthy manner. Right. They haven't humbled themselves. That's right. right. It's not that you make yourself worthy, that right. you're not a sinner. It's that they're not approaching God right. with a humility and reverence. Right. And they're just presuming on them and like, uh-huh. hey, it snacks at the back. Yeah. I'm surprised there's not dead people all over America. Because <laughs> there's like, like uh, there are snacks at the back. That's what I've told you before. You go into some church, you're like, what is this? Uh, what is this stuff back What's here? What's this setup? <laughs> and it's like, hey, uh, it's just you. You just, you know, you come out on your way out and uh, just have a little snack at the back. Lord's Supper. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. It's uh, this is about um, reverence for God. Yeah. I like what you said. I, I think you said that this isn't original to you, but I, I, I liked it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. Definitely way too cool for something to come out of my mind. <laughs> you know, it is. Because yeah. uh, Proverbs tells us, you know, several times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right. Uh, or wisdom. Right. Uh, and so here... This is about worship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. Yeah. Okay. That's how he ends this on the fear of the Lord, which is to have reverence and all. Well, where are we going next uh next week, Jay? Shifting gears again. Well, I get to talk about expect nothing less. <laughs> right. We've had uh we've had a, a sermon about friends friendship and companionship, and then we shifted gears. Well, first it was oppression, then friendship, and then Worship, and now we yeah. Go. I'm sorry that we couldn't uh, we couldn't discuss that last oh, week. Oh, companionship. Uh, yeah, we had to had to skip a passage. Yeah, uh, I was out of town. That's all right. Go back and listen to the sermon. It was yeah, good. and then uh, now we're talk. It's going to be a section on um, money. So he has already touched on. He's already touched uh-huh. on this on his quest right for pleasure. Now here is a a, a longer section about. Money. The angle I will t- I will take on it is I think what he is doing is teaching in his own way about um, replacing uh, replacing God for a different God. Okay. The God uh, Mammon. Gotcha. Okay. Which he doesn't use those words, right. but that's this is what he's getting at. Okay. Is are people who love money? Okay. It's become their. It's become their like. Their, it's become their security. Right. Their their god. Right. Okay. So. All yeah. right. Very good. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for the conversation, Jay. It was good. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, this has been helpful for you. Hopefully, my uh, stuffiness has not been <laughs> too much of a distraction. I'm going to uh, sign off and go get some Mucinex. There you go. Uh, but thank you for uh, for listening today. Uh, I hope that you'll take to heart uh, the Word of God, what we've been discussing today, and as you approach God in worship uh, this next Lord's Day, I, I hope that it will uh, affect you in a a real lasting way. So if this has been helpful for you, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.